Okay, we are in... Uh, let's look in Mark. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. And you might remember last week how we had discussed about the rich young ruler and how Jesus was using the Socratic method to speak to him and, and asking him, why are you calling me good? No man is good. He says, why do you call me good? And the man didn't answer. And so he tries to draw more out of the man. And he says, he says uh, uh, no man is good except God alone. And trying to draw this out of the man because the man had asked him, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus was trying to instruct him what he had to do to be saved. And then the man eventually had done everything right in dealing with his fellow man. Everything right. He was a very good, upstanding, right guy. He just wasn't right with God. And so how sometimes we can know people that are really nice people. But the key issue for Jesus was, what is your relationship to God? What is our relationship to Jesus Christ? That is what he was bringing the man back to. And he got to that by saying the thing that's keeping you from God, in that man's particular case, was his love for his money. He couldn't begin to release that to say God has to be number one in my life. And so in verse 22 of Mark chapter 10, But at these words he was saddened and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. So Jesus, looking around, we'll pick it up in verse 23 of Mark chapter 10. And Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. Now remember, in their context, if a person had wealth on earth, that was a favor from God it was looked upon. Now we look at that in in our culture differently, but in that culture it was looked upon as a favor from God in that they they were doing very well with God if they were rich. So when he said, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God, it says in verse 24, the disciples were amazed at his words. I mean, this was, this was really strange to them. If the rich have trouble entering the kingdom of God, then what chance is there for us? I mean, nobody can get in. So they were amazed at this statement, and then Jesus clarifies it a bit. He says, but Jesus answered again and said, children... How hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. So he takes it out of the context of just being wealthy. And he says, for all of you too, for everyone, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. So the money, money is neutral. It's what we do with money. It's the love for money. But then he says, it's not just the rich. He says, how hard it is for everyone in general to enter the kingdom of God. You know, uh, uh, back back when I, I used to um, do do a lot of door to door evangelism, I used to go with a guy who had a particularly good way of evangelizing, and, and he and I would even go sometimes uh, um, uh, just out by by the, the state house. So so we we lived in the capital of South Carolina, and just by the state house, it was amazing what he would do. He would get a a little tape recorder, a little recorder, as if he were conducting an interview. So when people get a recorder put in their face, they're just a little bit different. 
So he had a little recorder and he put it right in their face and he would, he would quote to them from Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. So he would put this microphone in their face and he would say, Jesus said that the way is broad and many are those that go through it that leads to destruction. But the gate is narrow and few that go through it that leads to life. What do you think that Jesus meant by that? So that would be his way of opening up a conversation, which is, think about it, that's not a bad way to do it. And he was very clever because now these people started to have to rationalize in their own mind what Jesus might have meant by that. So, so that, that's what they had to now do. And so Jesus indeed said that. He said the gate, the way is broad. I mean, just think about it. Jesus says the way is broad in Matthew chapter 7. I mean, in just tons of people going through that leads to destruction. But the way is narrow that leads to life and fewer those who enter by it. So this idea that we have that, oh, God loves everyone, therefore, you know, God would never send anybody to hell. No, they walk there themselves. We make a choice to go through the wide gate or we make a choice to go through the narrow gate. The narrow gate is really narrow. That's why he says to them in in Mark chapter 10, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's a hard thing. Then he said, it is easier for a camel, in verse 25, to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, with people, it is impossible. But not with God. For all things are possible with God. So again, he's underscoring here, he's underscoring that only God, only is this possible with God. And, uh, and you, you know, there's, this, there's this, this legend that there was this gate the going into Jerusalem, that, that many of the tour guides still use this in Jerusalem, that, that only, only a camel that would bend down could get through this gate, and that's what, what Jesus meant. There is no such anything like this in the writings, and plus there's so many gates that are going into Jerusalem, if there were really narrow, small gate, you just go to the next gate. So that, that's not what they're talking about, because in, in Matthew and Mark, what he says with this needle, needle's eye, he's talking about a sewing needle in Greek, if you look in Luke, it's talking about Luke being a... Luke, of course, is a, is, is a physician. He's using a surgeon's needle. That's the type of needle that he refers to in Greek. So it's obviously, this is a real needle. There was no such legend in, in, in any of, of Israel. This, this is just with, with tour guides for Gentiles when they go to Jerusalem. Um, but he's saying that this is possible and in fact... That expression, more difficult than passage through the eye of a needle, was an expression that was used by rabbis in that generation because you can find it in other writings. So to them, this was a known expression, this was a known colloquialism of the time. And it makes sense that it would be known colloquialism of the time because Jesus lived at that time. 
And Jesus took a known expression for them of how difficult it was to get into heaven, but these things can happen through God. And now let's, let's read on in, in uh, verse 28 of, of uh, Mark chapter 10. Peter began to say to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions, and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. So, Peter takes this opportunity when Jesus is speaking about how hard it is to get into heaven, and Peter says, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. Now remember, Peter didn't really leave everything. Remember we talked about this last week. He still had his fishing boat because after Jesus rises from the dead, he goes back to fishing. He said, I'm going fishing. He still had his boat. He still had his net. He still had his home because remember, at one point it says Jesus went into Peter's home and his mother-in-law was sick, so he still had his wife, he still had his home. But his feeling was, we've left everything. Jesus didn't say anything in particular, but now he's going to begin to address this. Now, if you were to look at the same parallel account in Matthew, it says, Matthew adds a little bit more here of what Peter said. So, in Matthew chapter 19, verse 27, it says this, Then Peter said to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? We've left everything and followed you. So what's in it for us? You know, I've left everything and followed you. And Peter's like, and so what's in it for us? Or, how about for me? You know, what's in it for me? If I come and I start following Jesus, what's in it for me? This is a typical attitude that we have. What's in this thing for me? So Jesus gives a set of promises and, and uh, in, in the Matthew account, there's three promises. There's only two listed in the Mark account, but in the Matthew account, there's three promises. The first one is this. He says, this is in Matthew 19:28. He says, Truly I say to you, that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So that's a promise that we can't have. That's not for us. That was for the twelve apostles. So Judas is going to end up killing himself. He was replaced by Matthias. And so this is for those twelve. That's it. Those, those particular apostles, the twelve. That is for them. They're going to be sitting on twelve thrones. So we know from the scriptures in the Messianic kingdom, what's going to happen is there's going to be two branches of government. There's going to be a Gentile branch of government. There's going to be a Jewish branch of government. Jesus will reign over all of that. Under the, over the Gentile branch, He will have us. He will have believers reigning with Him, ministering out uh, uh, um, the, the government over the Gentile branch of government. Over the Jewish branch of government, it says it will be, the ultimate head will be Jesus, but under Him will be David. David over the tribes of Israel. 
And there's going to be 12 people under David. That's what he's talking about. The 12 thrones that are going to be under David. So this is what, what the, the scriptures paint for us. And this is what he's talking about. But then there's two other promises that we fall into as well. So we can pick this up in either portion. But let's start reading it again in Mark. Jesus said, Truly, true, truly I say to you, in Mark 10 verse 29, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms. So what did he say? He said, you know, if you, Peter, you want to know what's in it for you? Peter said, what's in this for us? He says, let me tell you something. Whatever you've left, you're going to have many times over in this present age. Now, you're going to have this. And, and I can, I, I mean, I'm a testimony of this. There are people that invite me to their farm, to their ranches. I have, every rich guy in Houston has invited me to their ranch. I can go to their ranch. They will give me a key. They don't even need to be there. They've even told me. We'll give you the key, we'll give you the key to the gate, you can go. They, 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 they say there's a keeper there, they'll clean up after you. Just go. They want me to go to their ranch. I got ranches in Colorado I can go to. Multiple ranches in Colorado, multiple ranches in Texas. I don't own a single ranch. I got hunting camps I can go to. I don't own a single hunting camp. I pay no taxes on them, I pay no repairs. I can go to any of them. Now maybe they ask me all the time to go because they know I'm not going to accept. Be, be, because, because I'd rather be in my office doing my chemistry. I mean, this, this, this is what I do. But, but I have all of this. When, when, when Shireen is ill, I mean, you wouldn't believe the number of ladies in the church that would gladly cook for us. She has cooked for so many people. They would gladly bring us food. We lack no food. When Shireen goes out of town, I just, I, there's not enough room in the refrigerator for all the food that is brought to sustain me and, and, and Josiah at home. The amount of food that just comes in. And I can't eat it all. And, and uh, people take care of us. If you are integrated into the body of Christ, not just by attending church on Sunday, that won't do it, but when you become a part of the Christian family, there is so much around you. There is a huge mechanism. This is what I tell people. You want to find a job? Become part of a local church. Somebody is going to see you, see your talent, and you'll get connected. There are so many connections that occur through the body of Christ. This is what Jesus is talking about. If you lack a home, you become integrated into the life of a local church. You'll never lack a place to stay. Never. Shireen and I could go to anywhere in the world. I'm telling you, just all over. There are people who would have us in, in their homes if we needed a place to stay. I know that. And, and, and so when you get integrated in the body of Christ, this is what he's talking about. You're going to have so much of this. But then he goes on to say something interesting in, in verse 30. He says, uh, uh, he, he says uh, uh, you're going to have houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions. Look how Jesus just throws that thing in there. In Matthew, Matthew never even talked about that. Matthew never even recorded that. But Mark recorded, and persecution. Jesus wanted them to not forget, part of Christian life is persecutions. That's part of what you are going to get. You know, there's, there's, a, there's actually a lot of interesting verses on that. But uh, one in particular that I've actually been meditating on 
just this past week is from Second Thessalonians chapter one, verse four and five says this. Now, now listen with me. You got to listen very carefully. Second Thessalonians chapter one, verse four. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. This is the plain indication of God's righteousness. Of, of, this is the plain indication of God's righteous judgment, so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. How's that for a different view on suffering? He says your suffering, your suffering is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment. Huh? So that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. So this is what he's talking about over in Mark. Part of being a believer are persecutions. These come. You're going to have access to all these homes and these ranches and these places and these, the, 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 these uh, hunting camps and all of this. Oh, by the way, you're also going to have persecutions. Persecutions will come. This is part of Christian life. And it's plainly part of God's righteous judgment to make you worthy of the kingdom of heaven. This is not my words. This is what the scriptures say. So looking back in, in, in Mark, it says this. And in the age to come, eternal life. So there's one promise for the apostles that they're going to be reigning on twelve thrones. And there's, three, there's two other promises that are for the apostles and us too. It's that you become integrated in the body of Christ and you're going to have huge access to people, to jobs, to contacts. This happens in the body of Christ. And, and, uh, uh, and then he says, and in the age to come, eternal life. So you're going to also have eternal life. You want to know what you're going to get, Peter? Peter said, what's in this for us? Here's what you're going to get. How's that? You're going to ha- you're going to, whatever you left, you're going to get much more. You're going to have some persecutions but you'll also have eternal life. And in, in, in the Messianic Kingdom, as far as you're concerned, Peter, you'll be, you'll be uh, reigning over one of the tribes. Now, some people think that's that, 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 that therefore each, the, the twelve apostles were from the twelve different tribes. Cannot be, it is not so. Uh, because there were three sets of brothers among the apostles. So there couldn't have been an apostle from every, every tribe. Okay, so, so let's go on and, and, and start reading reading the next thing that happens chronologically. The next thing that happens chronologically is this parable of the landowner. Matthew chapter 20. So Matthew chapter 19 talked about, uh, Matthew chapter 19 talked about how um, it, it, it had just finished this portion about Peter saying, you know, what's going to happen to those who have given up everything? And then Jesus isn't done with this thought. Remember how, how uh, in Matthew's Gospel, how Peter said, so we've left everything, so what's in it for us? Jesus just finished the last portion, and some who are first will be last, and the last will be first. And he hasn't finished with Peter's thought yet. This is the next thing that happened. So he just finished in Matthew 19, now he picks up in Matthew 20 and he tells a parable to them, and he, but he makes this clear. He says in, in, in uh, uh, Matthew chapter, chapter 20, 
He says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. So remember, this is a parable, but it's not hidden. It's very clear what he's talking about. He says, here's what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like. It's like a landowner who went out in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, you also go into the vineyard. And whatever is right, I will give you. And he went out again and he went about the sixth and the ninth hour and did the same. And about the eleventh hour he went out and he found others standing around. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? They said, because no one hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to this foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. When those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. When those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more because each of them also received, a den- but each of them received a denarius. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner saying, These last men have worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. But he answered and he said to them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go. But I wish, but I wish to give to the, this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. This is all a response to what Peter had said. What's in it for us? So he told them, you got, i got three promises for you. But the last will be first and the first will be last. Let me tell you a story, Peter. So he tells them this story. He says it's like this landowner who needs to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now look at how it starts out in verse 2. When he had agreed with the laborers for denarius for the day, he sent them into the vineyard. There was an agreement. There was some negotiation going on. Maybe the laborers said, we want two denarii. Two, two denarius. And, and he said, uh, half. And maybe they, they came in on a denarius for the day. But there was an agreement that was struck. They shake hands on it. Okay, you go and labor for the day, the 12-hour day in the fields, you'll get a denarius. There was an agreement that was struck with these laborers. When he went out about the third hour, all right, so this is already three hours into the day. He went out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and to those he said, you go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give you. You see, there was no more negotiation here. These people had already lost three hours of the day, and they were glad to get work. All they had was a promise from this landowner. Never that they were going to get a denarius, but he said, whatever is right, I will give you. And they trusted the man. Whatever is right, I'll give you. And they took it based on trust. He's going to pay me what is right. You know, sometimes you do business with people and, and this is what you agree upon. I'll, I'll, you know, one party says, 
I'll charge you what is right. You know, they, don't worry about it. We'll sort it out later. You trust the person and you feel you're going to be okay. Now, sometimes you get bitterly surprised by what they end up charging you. But, um, uh, but anyway, so, so they were going based on, on trust with this landowner. And so he went out again, and he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did the same. So to those who came in the sixth and the ninth hour, he did the same thing. He said, whatever is right, I'll give you. And they trusted him. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and he found others standing around, and he said to them, why have you been standing idle all day long? They said to him, because no one hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. There was not even an agreement that I'll pay you what's right. He just told them to go into the vineyard. The first guys are negotiating with him. There's a negotiation going on and they shake hands and they strike up a deal. The laborers in the middle are like, okay, we'll just trust him. We hear he's a good guy. He'll take care of us. The last guys, there was, no, there was nothing other than get into the field. Think about the different quality of people. You know, the most demoralizing thing to a man is to be out of work. It is so demoralizing to a man. If any of you have ever had a, a father who's out of work, you know the struggles and the depression they go through when they're out of work. I mean, this is, this is a hard thing for a man to lose his job because so often men find their identity through their work. I don't remember names, but I remember what a man does. You know, I'll meet him and so say, what kind of work do you do? And I will forever remember what kind of work that man does, but his name is gone. The instant I ask him, I don't even know what it is. He just said it, and I don't even know. It just doesn't register at all. But I know what kind of work he does. Because he'll tell me, and I'll remember, you know, he's, he's a physician, he's a lawyer, he's an engineer, he's an energy trader, he's a, you know, and I, I remember this. A man finds his identity not in his name, but in his work, is how a man finds his identity. When you have people that have been standing around, and he says, why are you still here? They say, nobody has hired us. It's the 11th hour. It is a shameful thing. I've got to go home to my wife and kids, and I've got nothing. They sent me out to find work, and I've got nothing. Generally, the people who don't get hired right away or the people who are not physically fit. You know, maybe they got a, a, a torn ACL, which back in those days meant you limped for the rest of your life. Maybe they had a bad back and they couldn't bend down. Or they had a bad back and they were already bent down and they couldn't stand up. Who's going to hire a guy like that? These are the ones that are standing around. Where, where the landowner says, well, how come you're not out there? Nobody hired us. He said, just get out in the field. They were glad to just get out there so that they could look like they'd done something. So they could go home and they could show their, you know, their wives. They go, look, our hands are all messed up, but they never paid me. I mean, but at, le- at, at least th- there's something to it. You know, I, I, I knew a guy, he, he was on the football team. He never played. He just stood on the sidelines the whole time. He never played. And then finally, one game, they were just winning by a ton and it was muddy and rainy out. And so what, what he did... <laughs> Is because he said he would go to the gym and he would go to the locker room after every game and, you know, these guys are pulling their clothes off and it's all, you know, covered in mud and dirt and everything and, you know, they're upset about the game or something. His clothes were pristine. He had nothing to just throw on the ground. 
So he said that day, that one play, he jumped in a mud puddle. And just, because he wanted to go in the, in the locker room and throw his you know, clothes down and, 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 and do this. But he just wanted to show that this is what a man is. I understand that. You want to be participating. You want to do this. This man says, just go. But look at what it is. Look at the difference. When a person comes late in life, where they've expended their whole life, where they've trashed their whole life, they've gone through three wives, they've had multiple wives, multiple homes, multiple children, the children don't love them because the, you know, the wives have turned the children against them because they've gone and they've run off with other people. And everything is destroyed. When those people, if those people should come to the Lord later on in life, they're like, wow, this is so good. This is so good. And you see them in church services and they're just weeping and their arms are raised up because they know what it was like to have lived in the world and to utterly trash your life. Whereas you take somebody, he's grown up in a Christian home and this is all they've ever knew, known, and they just kind of, kind of, uh, kind of snooty about the whole thing. Well, why should I go to church? I mean, I, I don't like the way that, that worship leader plays. You know, I just don't like it. I don't like the. It's a whole different attitude, whole different attitude, and this is what he's getting at. You see this. With a person who's grown up in the church, what's in this for me? You know, it's a lot of work I've got to do, but what's in this for me? But to the man, or to the woman who has trashed their lives, and they come into the church, they're just weeping every Sunday. And they're falling on their knees because they know. And Jesus said, the reward is the same, but they're going into the kingdom first. Mary, from whom seven demons had been cast out, was the one to whom Jesus appeared first. That's a pretty big deal. To be the first to see Jesus risen from the dead. He appears to a woman who had seven demons. I mean, she could not have been a very nice woman with seven demons. I mean, one woman, one demon in a woman is going to make that woman pretty tough. I mean, to have seven demons living in a woman, you know the kind of language that was coming out of her mouth? And, and, and the kind of attitude and the things that she had been involved in, with to get seven demons moving into her? Jesus cast those out. Isn't it interesting that all the disciples fled? It was the women who stood at the foot of the cross with Mary amongst them. It was Mary who stood. Now John came back. Interestingly, John was the only one of the twelve who came back because remember he turns to his mother Mary and he says, Behold your son. John came back. And isn't it interesting that John was the only one among the apostles that was not martyred? John was the only one that was not martyred because he had already shown forth his allegiance to Jesus. The others had to show their allegiance to Jesus in martyrdom. John was banished to the island of Patmos and, and died there where he wrote the, 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 just in his old age where he wrote the, the uh, book of Revelation. So, um, but Mary was there. Jesus said, He who has been forgiven much loves much. He who's been forgiven little, loves little. You want to see somebody who really loves Jesus? You find somebody who's been beat up the, by the world and they really love Jesus. I used to do prison ministry with a guy 
who himself was a huge drug dealer in Columbia, South Carolina. And when we would go into the prisons, I mean, all these guys knew him. I said, John, how do you know all these guys? Do you go to school with them? He says, no, I sold them all drugs. John came to the Lord in a powerful way. John was shot in the back. They had brought in some... They wanted to get the business and the drug dealing in, in, in Columbia. So people in Atlanta wanted that business. They came in to Columbia and they shot him in the back. And he lived. And he gave his life to the Lord. And this man loved the Lord. He, he had a little house. I went in his house. He had signs all over. about they, all, they were all verses of Scripture and he used to internalize them. He used to say, I, John, am more than a conqueror. He put his name into all these Scriptures. This is how the man's life just changed. This guy loved God so much. So much. Yeah, there were, you know, there were things that he had to work through in life. But the love of God was there. And his wife too. She loved the Lord so much because she had lived through this stuff. This is what he says to Peter. He says, Peter, I'm still on this thought. You want to know what's in it for you? There's three blessings for you. But let's deal with the issue of your heart, Peter. When you say, what's in it for us? Just remember, the last are going to be first. And the reward that they're going to get in heaven is the same reward that you're going to get. Because they know what it's like to be without Christ. And they know what the blessing is that they have in Jesus. How He gives them life and breath. How He gives them salvation. This is what he's talking about. Let us never lose sight of everything that Jesus does. Like like, uh, Shannon was just talking about in the service. How he washes us of our sins. How then he comes and he makes intercession for us. Did you know the scriptures say, Jesus lives to make intercession on our behalf. Go figure. Why is Jesus alive? The scriptures say, to pray for us. Jesus lives to make intercession on our behalf. Go ask Jesus when you get to heaven. Why do you live, Jesus? To pray for you. That's what he says. That's what the scriptures say. He lives to make intercession on our behalf. That's a pretty cool deal, isn't it? And then it says, and he's going to come to bring us with him. What a treasure we have in Jesus. He blesses us so much the goodness of God, and this is what He's displaying to Peter. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word, for the power of Your Word. And Lord, I pray that You would just zero right in upon these young hearts. Father, that they would see that there is great reward in following Jesus. And there is tremendous reward in being integrated with the body of Christ that you would cause them to become well connected with the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that your good work would be in their lives and that they would also see that there is great blessings that you have for us. And Father, that they would never resent the blessings that you have given. That they would never look upon these things and just, just because of their envy, that their eye would become evil. Father, I pray that you would cause them to rejoice before you because of your goodness and because of your grace. And Lord, thank you that you are generous with what is yours. And that you will give an equal reward even to those who come later because of their their love and appreciation for you. Father, thank you for your mercies. 
thank you for your grace in the name of Jesus. Amen.